Who am I? They often tell me I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country home. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I really that then or the other that the men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of those who I lost? tossing in a great expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends in an infinite distance, weary and empty and praying at thinking, at making, faint, and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? Am I this, that, or the other? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a complete woebegone weakling? Or is it something within me like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou know, O God, I am thine. It's a fun question on such a day as this. Many call it Halloween where we dress up in costumes. Who am I? That was written by an amazing theologian and amazing preacher, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as he was in a concentration camp, who on the outside appeared to be so calm, so assured of himself, and yet on the inside had questions, had terrifying visions of what would become of him. And unfortunately, the world lost him because of those concentration camps much too soon. On the flip side, anyone want to guess at my Halloween costume? Hold on, wait for it. Come on, friends. Now, yeah, the mustache has been talked about. It's been named, and it will be coming off, okay? Uh, Dan Bellamy has prayed against this mustache to never be shown again. And, Dan, you will have your uh, wish granted after I embarrass my kids tonight at their Halloween parties, okay? So I have to keep this on just for another five or six hours till the Halloween parties are done. Now, the question we have in this fun is that we put on these facades, We don't do it necessarily on October 31st every single year, but we do it Monday through Friday. I pretend to be blah, blah, blah at my work. We do it on Thursday nights when I go out with my girl or guy friends. I'm either, you know, blah, 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 or blah, blah, blah. I I do it Sunday morning while I'm sitting at church because Thursday night me should not know Sunday morning me. You know what I mean? That's an awkward laugh. Yeah. (laughs) How does he know? Is he really Ted Lasso? Is this a celebrity sermon? No. But this is the question that we're going to see this morning. Jesus asked his own disciples. How disarming, how how scary would that be for them? And we're halfway through the book of Mark. It's only taken eight chapters to get to this point. And yet we see that we have only eight more to go where they figure out who he is. And then they figure out what he's about to do. Likely, this is the third year of Jesus' ministry. Jesus ministers for three years, which is also sometimes a shock to some people. He just is coming off his year of popularity. He had 5,000 people, men, and then another 4,000 men 
come and were fed miraculously by him. They didn't have fast food back then. But Jesus provides himself to be the very first true McDonald's. Now, if you count outside of the men and including children, we're thinking 15,000, 30,000 people who attend these gatherings of people who are fed miraculously where they don't have to buy their daily bread, work for it, and they're saying, this man, there's something about him. He gave me a free meal. For some, he even gave two free meals to the point where they had these things called leftovers. In my household with four kids, we don't have those anymore. We have fridge storage that goes in the trash five days later. Okay, <laughs> But they, it's, it's just a fascinating idea. But for Jesus to have this many followers is very sim- similar to what happens in Nebraska on game days at Memorial Stadium. Some of you don't know this, but I'm a Husker fan. No booze. Good. Okay. And, and what happens is that there's so many people who come to one event at one time, the stadium becomes the third largest city in the entire state of Nebraska. 90,000 people. And what happens is that this is known now. I mean, Jesus is no longer a woebegone, just vagabond preacher wandering through the wilderness preaching the good news of God. Jesus is now a leader of an entire movement. And it's going into this next year where his enemies are going to come in full force at him. Mark does an interesting way of literally putting this into a structure. And it's not a really strong structure. We talked about it last week that he does two cycles of six statements. Starting with this, he feeds a multitude, first 5,000, then 4,000. Then, secondly, he crosses the Sea of Galilee with a miracle. And then he has conflicted teachers. We talked about that last week where he had the conflicts with the Pharisees about clean and unclean. We are all unclean, and we're only made clean by who? You remember the sermon from last week. Good. It's Jesus, in case you didn't know the answer. Then, after that, he has a discussion about bread, which is very insightful and very confusing, actually. He does a healing, which we just heard Rex read from the scripture reader. And then the confession of faith, which we're going to get into here this morning. And here is where we get into Jesus asking his disciples the question, starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? What, do they think that, what costume am I wearing? Verse 28, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Now, John the Baptist, we know from Scripture. John the Baptist was the one who inaugurated Jesus' ministry. He baptizes Jesus, and God's voice speaks from heaven. But John the Baptist actually had a longer ministry, and in terms of the cultural relevance, was more popular and more well-known than Jesus Christ. John was a celebrity up here. Jesus was just, you know, a 1A celebrity, okay? What we find, what we find is that some people believed that Jesus somehow was John the Baptist back on earth again. Elijah would also fit that same mold. Elijah's from the Old Testament about 750 years earlier, and this fiery chariot comes down from heaven that scoops him up and takes him away, and everyone goes, where'd he go? And so the, the, the myth was, is that when he returns, he would be the Messiah, the one who brings Israel out of their confined state. He'd restore everything. And so culturally, people were expecting Elijah, but they weren't quite sure. And then obviously one of the prophets, that, that, there are many prophets in the Old Testament, who come into contact with these people and lead them towards God. Now, ironically, Herod's closest advisors, just a chapter before, give these three examples of people. John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. So even Jesus' enemies recognize there's something different about this guy. There's something interesting. 
But Jesus is now looking for a response from them. These 12 have been around him most of the time. He's probably had to call them more than once from their jobs, from their families, from whatever's going on in their lives. And we see that over and over and over, this question has been brought up through the entire book of Mark, that Mark's focus is to say, who is Jesus Christ? We see in chapter 1, the people asked, who is this? Demons, over and over in numerous chapters, have said, I know who you are. He tells them, shh. We see that in chapter 4, the disciples asked, who is this that the wind and waves even obey? The Pharisees asked, just in chapters prior, who defiles the Sabbath? Who is this who does this? Even Jesus' own mother and brothers asked, who is this? And now Jesus asks his disciples. Verse 29, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. See, the signs, as our worship team opened up with, they were rocking. They've always been around, but they just haven't been clear. Did you catch the scripture that Rex read? It's one of the most bizarre miracles that Jesus does, where he comes to this man who's blind, and he touches, and he opens his eyes. He says, I see, it looks like trees are walking around. And there's really no explanation to this, except unless you understand it from the context of the question he just asked. Who who? people say I am? John the Baptist, Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're, they're all giving guesses at an image that seems unclear until Peter makes it clear. The eyes are touched a second time and he sees perfectly clear everything about him, which makes this miracle so interesting to pair it with this confession here. It's like Halloween costume that you really quite can't sure what they are. Several years ago, we were part of a trunk or treat in the church I led, and I put on a bald cap trying to be Gru from, from the Minions, and everybody called me Mr. Clean. <laughs> Fail. Even with my little Minions walking around, I was still Mr. Clean. We've been there before. We, we put on a costume, and it doesn't quite fit what we want it to convey. See, what happens almost immediately after Peter's confession, though, is that Jesus, Peter knows who Jesus is, but he doesn't know what his mission is. Peter has been following Jesus now for two years, and Jesus has done countless miracles that we see in Scripture. See, Jesus revealed who he is to Peter, but not yet what. Let's pick up this story back in verse 31. He began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days he will rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and watch this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I'm sad to see so many churches in our world, and even in our context, who proclaim to know who Jesus is, but they have no idea what he is about. They understand him as a celebrity, as a person in a book, but they don't read what he is about in his theology and his work as savior of the world. They even find bizarre causes, become pharisaical. Oftentimes, I'm even ashamed of myself to be associated with these churches. Because just in case you didn't get the point of this, you can know who Jesus is, but you may not know what he's about. See, we're continued and called over and over and over to embrace our Savior's end goal as our own. Verse 33. 
But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's the point? Number one, no matter how bad your day is, when you get called to be Satan by Jesus, your day is the worst day ever. Just think of that next time. Car breaks down, plumbing goes awry. At least Jesus hasn't called me Satan today. Now, seriously, though, if we get to know who Jesus is, this is the point, we have to discern what his mission is for us because they're linked together. If you say Jesus is Lord, but you don't follow his path, it's like knowing the costume, but not doing anything about it. Not giving the candy out to the kid who's at your door. Not embracing the person who's right in front of you because you're not following what they're calling you to be and do. As Christians, we get caught up in this notion that Christians is somehow a work of extremes. We have to have big moments. We have to have fancy moments of baptisms and communions and all these things that somehow explode and we're just amazed by what we see. And it's extreme, 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 extreme. It sounds like our culture. None of us want to sit and be bored. But man, being bored sometimes is the best thing for us. Just to sit and be. You don't always have to be doing. There are extreme moments of following Jesus, just like the one Peter felt. But more often than not, the Christian life is a life of steady discipleship. It is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment asking of who I am in relationship to Jesus. It's not about programs or manufacturing moments to have the feel of discipleship. It is seeking out and believing that there will be times for extremes and time for lows. As a former youth pastor, I was always sad when people would drop their kids off. They're teenagers, obviously. And they they needed help. And their expectation was, if I bring them once a year to the lock-in, they'll leave and somehow they'll have Jesus and everything will be fixed. That's not how life works. There is no diet pill that just miraculously turns you into whatever you want to look like. It takes progress and hard work. It takes a lifetime of focus sometimes. And it's different for every single person. We cannot find a way for all the differences in the way that God made us in his image to somehow prescribe one tract that all of us will get on and all of us will somehow pop out as holy as Jesus. No. It's how you have to understand that when you know who Jesus is, you don't get to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus now tells you what to do. And that's the problem that Peter has. Hey, you're the Messiah. You're the one. Now do exactly what I tell you to do. Jump, Jesus, jump. Talk, Jesus, talk. Miracle, Jesus, miracle. And Jesus, very clearly, get behind me, Satan. Don't tempt me to be something that I'm not. See, Jesus gives us the model of the what is, and it's not very comforting. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with 
the holy angels. To say this is easy. To do it is so difficult. Some may say we're in a sinful and adulterous generation right now. Yes, but none, according to Jesus' words, are out of his grasp of redemption. See, it's a difference of knowing who Jesus is and not following what he wants us to do. See, friends, it's the who versus the what. The world may say to build walls, to reinforce systems and create flashy moments that manufacture excitement. But friends, a healthy church will not necessarily have a balanced budget, growing attendance, or even a large following. A true healthy church will see the average attender invite their circle of friends that they influence to join them. A healthy church will have a full nursery. A healthy church will have baptisms frequently. The latter involves eternal focus of infants' conversions and testimony changes. The former involves more about pastor egos and self-preservation. And this is not just me saying we're going to turn away growth. (laughs) We will not. We will strategically grow both as a church and as an individual in doing the hard day-by-day work of following Jesus Christ. I'm hopeful in finding the long-term strategy that is scalable and sustainable through the next season of E3. And we already have a mission, even in the midst of seeking strategic direction. We talked about this the entire month of September. We exist to make what? Well done, church. Pat yourselves on the back. Online, you too. Please don't talk about my mustache. But in all seriousness, the case in point, I'm reorienting our entire structure to be the champion of our mission that when we get distracted by good things sometimes, we come back to the main thing, which is the main thing, which is to make disciples. Our wise counsel meetings are reoriented over worship, over connection, and over service. And then I say there's potpourri. There's stuff that has to be talked about, like plumbing. That's important in a church. But plumbing is not discipleship, unless you're talking to the plumber who's installing the pipes. And I've invited him to come. But I'm challenging our church, not just our wise counsel, to honestly take a look at not how well we've come in the welcome and extreme moments, because we're doing well in that, but to instead look and see how dedicated we are to walk alongside a person and self-sacrificingly to look and turn how dedicated we are to walk alongside every single person, regardless of who they think they are with their mask on, with their costume on, whatever persona they think they have to be No, be you, how God created you. We see the fruits of this over various ministries over 10 years of varying degrees. Seeing groups like 12 Words, numerous growth groups, and marriages reoriented is evidence of this process. Seeing people coming to us from Serve Tallahassee. Seeing and walking alongside our brothers and sisters in places that many of us may not have a personal connection with, but we have a spiritual one, Uganda, Haiti, and Guatemala. If we have the mentality that I'm preaching on right now, you get to worship alongside these brothers and sisters for eternity. You get a a room in Jesus's house, and you get to walk across the hall and meet people you never could even dreamed about meeting in this lifetime. Because of the faith we have in him. 
Every church in the nation struggles with this. To how to have those in a committed relationship with Jesus who've been here forever orienting themselves continually along someone who just accepted Jesus Christ. But we need to be a church that takes that seriously. The up-and-coming generation that we are seeking isn't wowed anymore by clever programming or by membership or by ownership or whatever we call it. They are seeking real life in real situations. And we are to be discipling one another in raw and real ways. Both the infant Christian and those who have come to know Christ 95 years ago. The moment where I have my greatest spiritual growth and coming closer to Christ are interrelated when I'm most vulnerable and intimate with other people. And that's what we see here in the scripture. See, we need to share who Jesus is by doing what he calls us to do. Peter both recognized the Christ for who he was and then immediately couldn't follow what he was to become. Luckily, Jesus has lots of grace. Grace upon grace. And it is Peter who's chosen to be the leader of the church in just a few short years. To wrap this up, E3 has done what Christ has asked of it in seasons past. Even yesterday at our new owner's class, I saw evidence of that. But what if I told you that our greatest amount of doing is still right before us? Planning new churches in our city. Planning churches in cities that we never even have met before. Seeing teenagers' trajectory of life changed and future pastors come from our student ministry. Changing a whole new generation that is hungry for meaning. And what is this life even about? That can only be found in who Jesus is. It's my great privilege in order to capture, to dream, and to dialogue with everyone here about where we are called to be and what Jesus wants us to become. Buckle up. It's going to be a long ride, but it's going to be worth it, friends. So to answer the question from the beginning, who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever my outside costume, I belong to Jesus. Let's have the worship team come up and just bow in prayer just for a moment to center ourselves before they take us in back into worship. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to peek beyond the outside costume. Friends, we, we, Jesus, we put on so many different types of personas and different types of, of people over my lifetime in different seasons, and some seem to be healthy, but God, I just pray that right now I would be revealed to you. God, I pray that you would come and just instill in me a heart that is hungry to be known and to be known by others in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask this as we continue to worship to reveal to us moment by moment, day by day, who you are and who we are in your magnificent glory. In your name, amen.